Hey everybody, welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host, and with us today, our special guest is the senior baseball writer for the Sporting News. He is Ryan Fagan. He's based in Charlotte, North Carolina. We'll be getting to him very shortly. First, we're going to chat, of course, to Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson, the Sunshine Boys, and to Tim Williams, who's joining us from Boston. I would be remiss, gentlemen, if we did not open the show with the good news that the 2021 Super Bowl, which originally was scheduled for Los Angeles, has now been moved to Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, and the 2022 Super Bowl will be played in Los Angeles. And the irony here is that the stadium in Los Angeles got pushed back because the opening date, and from a construction standpoint, was postponed in large part because of delays having to do with rain. And ironically, I guess it never rains in Southern California unless they're trying to build a stadium. So that seems to be the issue. But uh, the fact that they rolled it back lends an opening to Tampa. Tampa will host yet another Super Bowl in 2021. Your thoughts, your observations, Mr. Kaufman and Mr. Henderson. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say justice has prevailed, Mr. Henderson, uh, in this regard. Uh, you know I've watched the Super Bowl uh, stuff very closely. I've been to a lot of meetings when the game's been awarded, and the Bay Area has been a very good soldier, uh, Joe, for for uh, for the NFL. Uh, every time they ask us uh, to submit a bid, even when it's a long shot, we we do so uh, and give it an earnest effort. Uh, we've been coming up short. The New York thing wasn't going to happen. Goodell was pushing that, but we made it close. Uh, we thought we could beat out Arizona. It didn't happen. We went 0 for 3 when they announced three games, Joe. Um, we've been very loyal to the NFL, and, and, we, and we don't bitch a lot when, when, we, uh, when we come away disappointed. So I think uh, it's, only, uh, it's only fair justice, Joe, that uh, L.A.'s got to take a back seat for a year, and, uh, and Tampa Bay swooped in. Good, good for us. Yeah, I think um, I would agree with you on all those points. And I would, I would add that uh, it's a testament to uh, Tampa Bay Sports Commission head uh, Rob Higgins for the kind of organization he has put together um, that is obviously well-known in the, in the circles of the NFL. The college football championship was just played here um, and all the other events that have come to town. And that's because of what Rob does with the Sports Commission. They're organized. They, uh, they can handle something like this. And it might cause another city to melt down, to be awarded a Super Bowl uh, this late in the game, because we know how far ahead uh, cities, particularly in the south uh, and desirable locations, plan their tourism and, and block out their hotel dates. But, you know, I'm sure Rob Higgins and, and – all of the, the people associated with him said, no problem, we can handle it. Uh, they know they can handle it. They've handled it before. And lastly, I would leave you with this thought. Um, I don't know how long the discussion took um, when it was obvious that L.A. wasn't going to be ready to host the game, but I would imagine that once they decided, okay, we're going to have to move it, probably somebody said, hey, what about Tampa? Yeah, okay, that's good. Let's go eat. You know, that's probably about how long the discussion took. So good, good for Tampa Bay, good for Rob Higgins, and uh, now let's talk some baseball. Well, they were the runners-up, so I think that, that certainly had yeah. a lot to do with it. And, and, and one other thing, 
Go ahead, Ira. And Jim, it'll be a perfect way uh, for for Tim Williams uh, to bow out in 2021 in in the big game at Raymond James. Uh, you know, with his uh, you know six or seven Super Bowls and Lombardi Trophy, it'll be a perfect way for uh, for for Brady to go off into the sunset. Particularly if they if they do so against the Buccaneers. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be nice to see them be the first team to ever host a Super Bowl. They came so close. They had such a great team right right around 2000 when they were going to host the Super Bowl, and there was that optimism then. They came so close, so it's good to see that they might have another shot. That looks like they'd be – the roster they have would be peaking right about that time, so – you know, it's it's food for thought for for any Bucks fans out there, like well, like myself. One well, last know, thing, Ira. Ira, there's there's one one key thing that you've overlooked in all of this. Back in 1984, when Tampa hosted its first Super Bowl, who mm-hmm. was the city that they beat to win the right to host it? Ooh, I know, I know. Go ahead, Go Los ahead, Angeles. Los Angeles. And what team right. came here to play in the game and won the game? The Raiders. The Raiders. The Los Angeles Raiders. So right. I'm just saying that we have a history with these guys. So There you go. Yeah. And just to put a bow on it, I really do think that besides the fact that they finished second, uh, I think that, that na- the way that the national championship um, playoff game was handled uh, – you know, this past season, uh, I think that really spoke volumes to what could be done. And I think they felt incredibly comfortable. And Joe, I, I agree with you that this, uh, other than, um, you know, Ira's mic drop moment when they said, you know, when he was at the Hall of Fame and said, Brett Favre and sit down, I think pretty much the same thing happened there. The guy, it was Roger Goodell, stood up and said, what about Tampa? And everybody said, as you say, let's go to lunch. So there you go. Think it think that's the deal. Well, we didn't bring Ryan here to talk about the about Super Bowl, but um go ahead, you were gonna say something? No, I was just saying for once they they uh it would it would have been appropriate if they ordered a Cuban sandwich. There you go, right. There you go. Not a bad idea. Um anyway, we've got Ryan Fagan with us and Ryan is here to talk baseball and and Ryan, um, we'll start with you and uh, give us some of the things that uh, early in the season, as we move into the Memorial Day weekend, um, that you or uh, some of the storylines that that are a little bit surprising to you, and some things that uh, you think bear uh, attention. Well, I think when you look at some of the surprising teams, that's the first thing that stands out. Because you look at the standings and you see. The Rockies are the first team in the NL to get to 30 wins. I don't think anyone really thought that was going to happen. And we knew they had a good core of hitters and guys like Nolan Arenado and Charlie Blackman and, and so on and so forth. But their starting pitching has been phenomenal. And I don't think anyone saw that coming. And you look at the West, and it was supposed to be the Dodgers and the Giants going head-to-head. And here you have the, you know, the, the Rockies and the Diamondbacks up top. And I think – that's a little surprising. It's a little surprising how good Houston has been. I know they got cooled off a little bit um, against Cleveland at home the other day, but I mean they're looking like the, the the team to beat in the the American League. The Red Sox were supposed to be the team to beat. They've struggled now. They're talking about 
John Farrell might be on the hot seat um, here in the next month or so if they don't turn around. So, yeah, I think, I mean, every time, you know, we do our preseason predictions and we, we say this is what I think is going to happen based on such, 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 and then the, the season starts and none of it's true <laughs> and crazy things happen. And that's, what, that's what's so much fun about baseball. You know, as far as, as far as John Farrell being on the hot seat is concerned, I think John Farrell's always been on the hot seat. I, whenever I've turned on local radio here in Boston, it's always some caller calling in, win or lose for the Red Sox, saying John Farrell has done something fatally wrong, and this is yet another sign that he has to be fired. So he's really been on the hot seat since day one. He doesn't get a lot in the way of breaks, but... I think it's starting to come to a head because at 23 and 21, they're not exactly doing terribly, but they didn't expect to just be treading water at this point in the season in Boston. Right. They were supposed to be this, this team that was going to run away and basically do what the Astros have done. But it's not just that they're not, you know, 10 games over 500. It's the way they're playing. They're sloppy. You know, they make too many mistakes. And I know David Price has been out and Steven Wright. You know, is is done for the year now. But you know, David Price is one starter. You know, one starter is not going to make a huge, huge difference over the long course of the season, um, especially not early. I mean, it's been a, a team wide thing, and it's just kind of playing lethargic. And it's it, when you look at at Farrell and what teams have done there. I mean, he's had a couple of really good seasons, and they missed the playoffs a couple times. You know, with the roster with the you know, roster that's being paid that much money, that that's not okay. And you're right, there. I think there's there's certainly been a large faction of, of Boston fans that have been uh, ready for Farrell to, to go away pretty much as soon as he got there. I think that might be starting to shift towards the, the front office too. And I think if, if we get into uh, the all-star break and they're still middle around 500, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if they wind up and go ahead and make a change. The question is, is who do they bring in? But, you know, that, that may be secondary right now. Um, I, I have a question for our guest. What do you um... – what do you make of the Minnesota Twins and Milwaukee Brewers? Uh, you know, I, lo- I love what the Twins have. I think when you look at um, their long-term, what they're going to be, the, the, the young talent. I, I'm, I'm a Byron Buxton believer, you know, maybe, maybe too much um, for parts of last year, but I just love what he has. You know, I watched him down in spring training a couple games this year, and he was rocketing line drives, and obviously he, he had a slow start to the season. But, you know, I mean, they've got a lot of, a lot of talent. Sanoa's one of the, the best young power hitters in the game. Dozier has pretty much established what he is, even though he's starting slow again this year. I, I question the starting pitching a little bit when we're talking about can this team make the playoffs. You know, Irvin Santana's been phenomenal, but he's not going to be that good all year. I mean, there's just no way he's not going to put up Clayton Kershaw-type numbers. Um, you know, he's sitting there with a 1-8 ERA right now. Uh, he's going to be good, reliable, but I, I just wonder with the long haul, you know, and are they going to go out and and get a starting pitcher if they have to? You know, I'm not sure that they're they're committed to doing that. And the Brewers, you know, I, again, I I'm very excited to watch what they're doing so far. You wonder a little bit about can they maintain it over 162 games? You know, I mean, I think it's that that's not to knock what they've done so far. They've been very good. You know, I don't think anyone expected them to have the lead in the NL Central anytime after the first week of the season, much less the first month and a half of the season. But, you know, again, that's what's so great about baseball. You know, we, we, we think, we think we know these things 
and then we watch the game unfold and we realize we, we, we don't know as much as we think we did. That's why I don't bet on baseball or any sports because <laughs> I know enough to know that I don't know enough to know what's going to happen, and that's what's so fun about watching it play out. That is a wise philosophy to keep. <laughs> One thing yeah, I would um, say, you know, ahead, I, I think I, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Astros um, squarely, and I just think Houston fans uh, are uh, sort of uh, in the beginning of, of of a nice large window right now. Um, I mean, they could be in the World Series this year. But, you know, projecting forward five years from now uh, with all the young talent. See, it's one thing to be bad and accumulate high draft picks. And as a 76er fan, I can vouch for this. Uh, <laughs> you you got to turn those picks in, in, into talent. You got to make the right picks. And Houston's done a great job. The Dodgers do it. Uh, the Yankees have done it now um, with, the, with the great young talent. And... You know, Correa, I think, is just a fabulous player. He's not going anywhere. He's only going to get better, which is, uh, you know, you, you cringe a little bit at how about how good he could be. Um, there's a lot of support in Houston. Look, you know, the Rockets are a good team. The Texans are, are a decent team. But uh, the Astros could, could rule that town for a while. They're well supported uh, in, in that ballpark. And uh, it's just it's a great time for Astros fans after – you know, three or four years of uh, really bad baseball. So I'm, I'm happy for them. Hey, don't forget, yeah, Ira, that there's uh, Lance McCullers, uh, Tampa Catholic kid on that uh, team. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's, yeah, he he's, looks great. He's doing yeah. – yeah, he looked great again last night. He's doing things. His, his curveball is, is ridiculous. I mean, it's filthy what, what he's done. You know, I think when you look at this team, too, and you talk about – the, the good job that they've done with the draft picks, you know, you're exactly right. Guys like George Springer and, and Correa and they, you know, and they have two extra this year because of the whole Cardinal hacking scandal. They have two extra picks in the first three rounds. And I think if you look at any team that's well suited to take advantage of that with, with their track record in recent drafts, it's, it's the Astros. They're going to, they're going to build and you're right. Their window is, their window is not short. Their window is kind of like when you look at teams that are going to, have the potential to be dominant over the next four or five years. I think everybody talks about the Cubs because of what they did last year, but you know, I think the Astros are right in that conversation as well. Ryan, I think well, when, that... Go ahead, Tim. I also think when you look at a lot of these teams that are surprising and these teams that are running out, out really well right now that are out in front, most of them have something in common, and that's really good bullpen performances. Minnesota has an excellent bullpen right now. Houston, they're not putting up the same fantastic numbers, but they have a very deep bullpen, so they have a lot of relievers that can come in and get outs when they need outs. Milwaukee, well, Neftali Feliz is not having a great season so far, but the rest of their bullpen's been solid. Colorado's bullpen is incredible, and I would be remiss to not mention Northeastern's own Adam Ottavino in that conversation. His slider is fantastic, and I remember seeing it live all those years ago at Friedman Diamond. And you look at these contending teams that we didn't expect to be contending, they're getting great late game performances out of their bullpen and of course the new york yankees who are ahead of schedule with the with their team they they have an incredible bullpen as well so i think that might be the 
uniting factor in a lot of these surprising teams. Not all of the great teams have great bullpens. Arizona's in particular is a bit of a sore spot. And the Nationals, they have all the time in the world to figure this out, but they're going to need to figure theirs out as well. But otherwise, I think the bullpen is really the uniting factor in why these teams are surprising and doing so well, because once they get a lead, good luck taking it away from Minnesota or Colorado or Houston. That's the old yeah, absolutely. I think when, right? when you look at yeah. yeah, when you look at what Adovino's done coming back from the, the injury and, and then you add him to Greg Holland, who, you know, has probably been, if we're talking about the most um, underrated signing of, of the off season. I mean, he's been unbelievable what he's done. You know, I think, and yeah, you mentioned the nationals too. And I, I you're right. They do have time. You, I looked at the stats a couple of days or the standings a couple of days ago. And I was looking at the, and they were of the 30 teams in baseball, only six teams had 18 or fewer wins. And four of those teams were in the NL East. <laughs> so yeah, the nationals have time and they've got the motivation when, you know, with the, the clock ticking on, on Bryce Harper's time with the Who team. Who will be they're, staying they're in Washington. <laughs> you think he's going to stay in Washington? I think, I think I talked to a lot of national fans in spring training and, and they didn't share that optimism. <laughs> they wanted to believe. But, I, uh, I have very good sources within the uh, Lerner family. And I can tell you that uh, the relationship between Bryce Harper, the Lerner family and the owner, the, um, and Scott Burroughs, um, do I believe that um, that he's going to get $400 million? I do. Do I believe yeah. that uh, the Nationals are willing to pay it to them? I do. Well, that would be great. I mean, obviously he's been, you know, he fits there very well. He's very happy there. But I think, and you're right, Boris and, and the Nationals have done a lot of deals over the past couple of years, probably as much or more than with any team. There's no doubt about that. But I mean, you're talking about – I mean, the bidding is going to start at 400. You know, we're talking, you know, maybe 450 um, over a 12 or 13 year deal. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Not just Harper, but I mean, Machado being in that same boat. You know, a super talented um, young superstar from the the, the, the DC area. Yeah. I think I'll tell you what. If Manny Machado does not sign back with the Baltimore Orioles, there might be pitchforks uh, at the uh, Camden <laughs> Yards. Uh, you know, they may chase Peter Angelos uh, totally out of town. Yeah, that would be. Uh, no, yeah, the other Red thing Sox is the Red Sox love them. <laughs> you got you, you know there were you guys have been talking about um, you got to strike while the while the window is open, right? You know, Houston, a couple couple of these teams. All you got to do is look at the Pittsburgh Pirates to see what happens when you don't capitalize on your window. Because what was it two years ago? We we looked at them as yeah maybe one of the up and coming teams in baseball, and now you know they can't get out of their own way. And and there's talk that uh, they may start a sell off here. So you know you got to if you're a, if you're a mid to small market team in baseball and you get that window, you have to like charge through it. And uh, so, you know, you referred to um, would Minnesota add a pitcher if if they, you know, get to uh, the trade deadline and they're still uh, in the hunt. I think you got to you got to jump all you can because you can look around a year or two later and you, you know you're down there in the cellar again. I'll tell you who I would in a heartbeat go after is a guy that you guys know well, 
and Ryan, I'd like to hear your opinion on it. I know that the the Phillies are shopping Hellickson, and he's pitched yeah. pretty darn good this you know this early in the season. I wouldn't. I'd take Hellickson in a heartbeat uh, on that Minnesota team if uh, you know if they were willing to pay whatever the price is that Philly wants to extract to get uh, to get rid of. Yeah, he's been he's been. I mean, we we saw when he came up with Tampa. I mean, he was one of the best young, reliable starting pitchers. And then things went awry, and he really kind of revitalized himself last year with the Phillies. And I think that was a something that was a little bit surprising how good he was. And then you know, obviously the Phillies sent him the qualifying offer, and he accepted that. Uh, you know, the Phillies wanted to trade him last year. Well, I wouldn't say they wanted to; they were open to trading him last year. And right. There were teams that were interested, and, and nobody met the price. But I think the Phillies did that knowing they could extend him the qualifying offer and do the same kind of song and dance again next year at the trade deadline, as long as he was still producing, which he is. So, you know, they don't really have that option. They can't offer him the, the qualifying offer again after this year. So they kind of, if they want to get something from him, they kind of have to, to deal him at some point in the next couple of months. So I, I'm curious to see, you know, whether a team steps up and meets that price now or whether the Phillies lower their asking price a little bit. But you're right, he absolutely could. You know, he's not going to be the, the number one guy on a on a playoff team, but if he's your number three or four guy on, on a playoff type rotation, I, I think your you know teams can do a lot worse than him. Hey Jim, Jim, one uh, one quick point I want to make mm-hmm. uh, in general, uh, and sometimes uh, you know we we tend to overlook this uh, at the moment, but uh, we have to appreciate what we got right now in terms of greatness, and I don't mm-hmm. throw that word around lightly. Uh, and I think even Henderson, who hates to agree with me, might might have a problem here uh, taking me on. But Mike Trout as a hitter and Clayton Kershaw as a pitcher. You know, I was looking at Kershaw's numbers today uh, because he got a no decision last night, pitched another great game against the Cardinals. No walks, 10 Ks, you know, just that's Kershaw. And uh, this this guy is historic, historic. Now, look, he's got a few things to prove in the postseason. I understand that. The guy's got better numbers than Sandy Koufax. Let me say it again. Sandy Koufax. Uh, his ERA is like 235 career. Uh, hits per inning, he's second all-time to Nolan Ryan. Number two all-time. Uh, Trout, I don't even know if he's in his prime yet. I mean, he might even get better. So, you know, it's like the same thing with LeBron's. You know, you, you got to appreciate these guys while you have them. Uh, these are uh, iconic players right in our midst right now. You know, Ira, you bring up a good – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say if if um, Bryce Harper gets 400 to 450 from Washington or wherever he winds up going, the, the happiest guy on the planet is going to be Mike Trout because what is he going to get when the time comes to really – shovel that huge contract at him. And I'm I'm gonna guess that, that he's the guy that could top the five hundred million mark. It's crazy to I, talk about these numbers, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Especially when it's not our money. Um the um I mean what the Giancarlo Stanton deal, okay, which was north okay. of three hundred, right? Right. It's um it's a back ended deal. And of course, anybody who knows Jeffrey Lurie and knows that he's not paying that money, um, someone will. 
uh, whether it's a new owner of the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Marlins, or if it's um, someone who they've traded him to, that 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 money will be paid on the back end. I, you know, the four hundred number, the four hundred million dollar number, which has been bantied about with Bryce. Uh, you know, I don't know if that came from from uh, uh, Scott Boris or where the heck it came from, but I, you know, I say four hundred million dollars, but you know, beyond the four hundred million dollar mark, wherever it's four fifteen for whatever, you know, there's silly money out there. Uh, but if you look at what happened in last uh, at the winter meetings last. Um, you know, last uh, you know November, um, there was a lot of money thrown around, but there wasn't crazy money. And I think that um, you know, four hundred million dollars is what the Nationals paid to buy the franchise. So when you're talking about a franchise player, you're literally talking about how much. I mean, when they gave Giancarlo Stanton that deal for three hundred million. The the do the you know the the Marlins didn't cost it didn't cost the franchise fee didn't cost three hundred million dollars when the, the Marlins became the Marlins. So I mean you know it's just it's crazy money. You know, and, Jim, our, our guest our guest knows uh, better than anybody uh, for mm-hmm. perspective purposes. Uh, and Joe, fifty years ago, you know, nineteen sixty seven. Uh, remember the hundred thousand dollar barrier? What well, was a big deal, oh, yeah. Joe? Sure. Uh, you know, Mays, Aaron, you know, uh, Clemente. Pete Rose was going to be the first $100,000 singles hitter. Jim, that was a big deal. Frank Robinson, yeah. you know, uh, you know, $100,000 ball player. Uh, you you had to put in like eight, eight solid years to get that. And um, I know inflation takes its toll, gentlemen, but uh, 50 years later, from a hundred grand, you know, to uh, – the $75 million, that that's quite a jump. I think one thing that's going to be interesting to watch over the next couple of years is, you know, so much of that money that is coming into these teams and why they can spend $400 million on Bryce Harper and it not crush the, the, the organization is because of all the, the rights fees that these TV stations are paying. And, and I'm genuinely curious to see as – people shift away from standard cable as they're, as they're cutting the cord and they're starting to use like the MLB TV that they can watch on their phones or laptops or tablets. And I'm curious to see if this model is sustainable as it is, because that's where all the money is coming from and it's from the TV. And there's lots of money coming from other ways, but the general, the giant chunks of money is coming from the TV contracts. And if these TV stations suddenly can't pay this money, what happens to this system? And I think that's something that's interesting. That's not going to affect, you know, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado in the meantime, but if we're talking about contracts six or seven years down the line, what happens then and what happens on the free agent market then? I think, and the thing that makes, you know, guys like Harper and Machado and even Stanton when they, when Marlins re-upped him, different than a lot of the guys that hit the free agent market is mostly people hit the free agent market at you know, 29 or 30, and Machado and Harper are hitting it at 26. You know, Stanton signed it earlier, too. So I think a lot of times in free agent deals, and I think this is what we saw last season, you're paying for peak years of a guy's career. You're paying for maybe one or two peak years and then paying for his down year because of the cost of doing business. 
but with these guys, you're paying for, for peak years, what should be peak years. And I think that's what makes these guys so much um, different than, than what we've seen at the market uh, for the most part over the last couple decades. I think you hit the nail on the head with the TV money that right now it's going up and up, but it's a bubble that's going to burst. The TV money's there largely because thanks to, in part because of the cable cutters, but also because of the onset of DVR, and now we can record any show that's not live and skip through the commercials, that live programming has become inherently valuable in a way it never was before, so that money is going up and up because it's the only place where you can actually ensure that some people are going to sit through the commercials because they're not going to DVR the game in the era of smartphones where your phone will tell you the score. So that money is going up right now, but that's going to stop. There's only a certain point that can reach. And as cable television starts to lose money in general, you're going to start to see that money go down. You're going to see these rights contracts change fundamentally and the whole way that the business of baseball is done is going to change when that happens so you're right that is a bubble that's going to burst and who knows how long it'll be well i'll say this guys um as someone who has actually fortunately it's not my money but taken uh large checks and given them to major sports teams uh i think that what we're going to see because of the streaming situation is that we're going to see that there is money to be made uh, from individual teams in, in basically selling, you know, streaming tickets. So in other words, I can buy a, a yearly package to watch my team and, uh, or I can watch them on a per game basis or I can watch them, you know, so there'll be packages that will be there. Will they be in the billions of dollars? No. Um, but cable companies like Comcast and like Time Warner, which is now Spectrum, uh, Bright House is now a Spectrum group, they're smart about what they're going to do. They've looked into what's going to happen with this, and they've monetized it, and they're, they're going to look on how they can monetize the sport. It, will it be those – will they ha be paying ridiculous numbers like they are now? No. Uh, the funny money that Time Warner – spent on the Dodgers deal, which was about seven to eight billion dollars, is just insane. And uh, I don't think you know, we're never gonna see that again. That was just plain stupid. Um and trust me, when you look over at the the bottom line at Spectrum, they're looking at that going, what in the world are we gonna do to, you know, make this work? Because we'll never be able to recoup that money. Um uh, but they what we're seeing is partnership deals. And that the Phillies deal uh, with Comcast was a partnership deal. Uh, the reason it was done was because that way you can take the money. Um, as you guys know, rights fees are, are part of revenue sharing in baseball. So whatever your rights fee is, then part of that can be shared amongst the other teams. If you're a partnership, if a partnership in a network, that doesn't have to be shared. So, you know, let's say for instance, um, the, Phillies are in with Comcast, their rights fee may be $75 million a year, okay? But they're getting another additional maybe 15 to $20 million that doesn't have to be shared, and that's through their partnership with Comcast. So 
I think the partnership aspect is probably the way that a lot of these teams are going to go, and a lot of these teams are going to, you know, become in charge of their own um, of their own um, um, regional and and um, digital networks down the line. But that's that's another conversation for another day. Let's start talking about going division by division real quick. Uh, Ryan, you want to start us off on? Um, you know, let's start with the American League East. What do you let's let's go around the the horn and see what we think is going to happen as uh, things play out here, starting with the American League East. I think the Yankees have the Yankees have been surprising. I don't think we thought they were going to be this good. I mean, I don't I don't think we thought they were going to be under five hundred or anything. But you know, when you look at what they've done, what Aaron Judge has done, you know, they did this. I mean, they are where they are with with T.D. Gregorius being out for a while. Um, Tanaka has not been um, the Cy Young contender that he has been in the past. But I think you look at the standings right now, um, you're, you're going to see some shifting. You know, I think you're going to see the, we've seen the, the, the Blue Jays start to play a little bit better. They won a couple games on the road, in, in a row on the road. They're a better team than what they were the first month of the season. So here you're going to see that. I think you're going to see the Red Sox at some point rebound. You know, the Rays are still going to be right in there. I mean, unless they decide to go ahead and, and, and trade away some of the young pitching they have. Because we talk about the trade deadline. Everybody always loves solid starting pitching, and the Rays have a lot of it. Um, so if they decide that they're going to make that move and, and shift into uh, looking forward to the next couple of years, maybe that drops them down a little bit. But if they decide to stick around, you know, I think they, they could be factors. Mr. Kaufman, your thoughts on the, on the AL East? It's tightly packed, Jim, as expected. Um, I don't see the Rays as being uh, major players. You know, I think it's a 500 uh, team, uh, which is fine. Um, and by the way, uh, uh, I'm going to shift gears for a second, Jim, just for a second, mm-hmm. and ask our ask our guest uh, what he's hearing or or what he thinks, because I'd like to get a national perspective on um, Ryan the fu- the future of the Rays um, in, in the Bay Area. I mean, I think we've been uh, I think baseball's been unbelievably patient with the usual 9,500 that that shows up. Um, Even for uh, Mike Trout, 9,500. Brian, what's going on with the Rays? Are they going to move? I mean, obviously, I mean, you guys know that something has to happen with the stadium. I think the baseball would love for – Major League Baseball to be a part of the Tampa Bay market. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think that's part of the reason they've been so patient. Um, the, the, the lease that they're in at, at, at Trop is, again, as you guys know, is very is very constrictive, and it, and it it is not the optimal. I think when you look at what what other teams, what other cities have done, it even kind of puts that situation in a worse light. Um, but when you look at markets and where baseball would want to be, I mean there. You, I can't name another one that's better than Tampa Bay. You know, I said I think it's not the market that's the problem. I think it's the location, it's the stadium, it's all these things. And baseball would love to stay there. I, I would be surprised if they leave anytime soon. Um, you know, I, I know that when you we talk about other markets, potentially Portland is brought up sometimes, Las Vegas is brought up sometimes, Charlotte, where I live, is brought up sometimes, and I love Charlotte. Um, they've got a great minor league ballpark that the AAA Knights play in. It's not expandable, but it's in a gorgeous area, um, and it gets packed pretty regularly. But there's a difference between packing, you know, 10,000 seats and packing 
40,000 seats. So, I mean, I, I would love to see baseball stay there. I think baseball would love to stay there. And hopefully at some point they, they work something out to make it a situation where it's, you know, it's tenable for both sides. Jim, I just wonder if the other owners are getting a little impatient. I mean, I know uh, Manfred is a patient man, but Jim, what about some of these other owners? Aren't they tired of uh, subsidizing the, the Rays? Yeah, they, I think there's no question about it. They, they are, but there's there's no Jerry Joneses and Stan Kroenke's, I think, necessarily no. in this league. You're not going to see the, the same type of, of – anxiousness um, that you do in the NFL a lot of times. Well, also they're... keep in mind, one of the own, one of the members of Fenway Sports Group that owns the Boston Red Sox is Jeffrey Vinnick, who has seen exactly how well the Tampa Bay sports market can support a team in the right location with the right atmosphere. The Lightning are a success story, so it's going to be hard for him to say, oh yeah, Tampa Bay can't work as a market when he knows for a fact it can, and for hockey, well, they don't produce hockey players besides Clay Witt out in the Tampa Bay area. They produce a lot of baseball players, however. Yeah, I I think that the owners are just they want to see something done, um, and but they're they're kicking the tires and looking around. And uh, I've heard uh, from some people that I've talked to most recently that um, that they're basically there's a four to five years more that they're going to let this thing play out because they feel that um, that Nashville could be a player in this deal. And um, keep an eye out for Nashville. They have not given up on the fact that baseball could potentially go back to uh, Montreal again. Yeah, just getting back, uh, just sure. getting back to the AL East for a second. Uh, oh, that's I'd be on. happy to go back to the AL. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just think um, you know the competitive balance between uh, those three teams at the top. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's going to come down to who makes a move. Um, you know, in mid to late July, uh, add that piece, probably a pitcher. And uh, that that could put that team over the top. I I think the Orioles are going to be a player in that uh, final hunt. Whether or not they can, you know, have enough parts to make it uh, to make it work, I don't know if they have the starting pitching to make it work. But um, I think that there will be a factor all the way up until the you know the final weeks of the season. I would That's... look for the Rays back on them for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on the uh, by the trade deadline, I think they will have to realistically say that they're out of it. I think their bullpen will we will point a finger at the bullpen and say that that was a major uh, issue for them. It has been so far. Um, defensively, they are not what they used to be, and mm-hmm. so I would look for a, a bidding war, if you will, for one Alex Cobb who has been pitching extremely well lately. He's back to what he was before uh, the Tommy John surgery, and he's going to make some contending team very happy. Okay. How about the AL Central? Real quick on that one. Well, I think well, that... I think, I, I... Go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Brian. I, I, I still think that the... the, the Indians, the Cleveland's the team to beat there. Um, when we're talking about World Series contenders, you know they they've scuffed along a little bit. They um, you know they brought up the Zimmer kid, and, and then when Corey Kluber comes back healthy, um, you know Trevor Bauer is not going to be this bad all season. 
um, I think getting as close as they did, they're going to they're make the move um, if they if they feel they have to add uh, again a rotation piece or or whatever they have to do. I, you know, I, I love the Twins' story and what it has been. And I hope they stick around. But you know, I, to me, that the Cleveland is is the team to beat in that division. Out west, boys, what do you think? But first of all, does anybody um, dispute the um, the situation with the Indians in the Central? No, no. Terry no. Francona is the best manager in baseball. I say it every time I get the opportunity. I, I think if there's anyone who can write the ship after, uh, you know, and not necessarily that they need writing the ship. They're 24 and 20. They're only one game out of first place. So it's not like they've had a disastrous season, but they've had some bumps in the road that they didn't expect. And if there's one guy that can handle it, they happen to have that guy running their dugout. So I think they're fine. Everybody else on that on the Cleveland? Yeah, um, right? yeah uh, they are the best of a um, uh, very mediocre division at this point. Out west, Ryan, what do you think? Is uh, anybody catch the Astros? That, that that lead they have is pretty solid. I mean, Texas just won what ten games in a row, and they're still seven games back. You know, I mean that's that, that's pretty impressive. I I, I, I always. I'm going to believe that the Mariners are going to be better than what the record is right now. I think you look at the pieces, you look at that, uh, the pitchers they have, guys like Cano and and Kyle Seager and and the hitters they have, they're going to be better than that. But, I mean, they're 11 games back right now. Uh, I think, you know, not to say anyone's out of the mix in the end of of May, but they've dug themselves quite a hole. Maybe to get back into the conversation for a wild card now, but I think, yeah, that that division, unless the Astros just hit a spate of injuries that that, that kind of devastate the rotation, I I think the Astros are are easily the team to beat in that division right now. One thing about the – You know, they they got off to a bad start last year, right, uh, Ryan? And I think, um, you know, from the point of last summer uh, until right now, uh, if you'd add it all up, uh, the Astros have a phenomenal record. I mean, they started badly right. last year, um, and, and uh, people had high expectations. And then they made a charge, and they've continued it. So, yo, I'm not sure all their guys are even hitting on all cylinders right now, but they got those two pitchers at the top of the lineup, and uh, I, I don't see the Astros folding their tent, Joe. No, no. That, you know, a lot of people, they were the chic pick to win the World Series a year ago by a lot of people. Yeah. And like and like you noted, they they couldn't get out of their own way. They remind me a whole lot of uh, your Tampa Bay Rays back in uh, 2010. Now you remember the Rays went to the World Series in '08, and everybody was like, "Oh, they're you know here they are, they're here to stay." The following year, they they stumbled, they didn't make the playoffs. But back in 2010, the Rays. Uh, won the uh, the AL East and, and really, I think, had a much better team than the one that went to the World Series. And I kind of put the Astros in that uh, position as well. Uh, I I just think that that is top to bottom. Uh, there are very few weaknesses on that team. And uh, so I see them uh, being in cruise control by the time we get to September. While we're on the AL West, we mentioned Mike Trout earlier, and a lot of people might have never watched Mike Trout because he plays his games late at night for a team that's not particularly good. Well, this year the Angels are pretty good. They're above 500. They're tied in the standings with the Texas Rangers. They're seven games out in the division. I don't think they're really any real threat to catch Houston. But 
this is the best Angels team Mike Trout has played on. So if you're going to watch Mike Trout, now is a pretty good time. And you should watch Mike Trout because he's amazing and he's just fun to watch. <laughs> True. Absolutely. So let's go from the West. Okay, we're going, let's stay in the West, but uh, flip it over to the National League West. I'm genuinely um, uh, curious to see how the, the Rockies pitchers do, how those young starters do. I mean, if they keep this up, the, the, the lineup is a pennant-winning lineup, you know, position by position. I mean, you know, nobody thought Mark Reynolds was going to be this good, but they're, they're legit bats up and down that, you know, one through eight. Um, the question is just the, the rotation. I mean, what does the rotation do? These young starters who have been so good through eight to ten starts, are they that good through 30? I mean, if they are, going to be there but you know, we'll see it's a it's a long grind and we'll see I, th- I still think the Dodgers are probably um if I had to pick a favorite out of that division it's probably still the Dodgers Jimmy, yeah, Harry, you gonna say something? yeah history tells us to be wary of the Rockies right because as the summer right. goes on and the balls fly out of the ballpark their pitchers wear down um I don't know this got the look of a little bit of a different team well managed uh pitching a lot better you know you, you know they can hit if Arenado was playing in uh, New York, uh, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd name a subway line after him. He's that good. <laughs> uh, Blackman's a heck of a player. They still got Gonzalez. Uh, it's a good team. Uh, Arizona, I think, will fade. Uh, my Giants, the less said, the better. Um, bad, bad draft picks have caught up with my Giants. They got old, you know, the Matt Keynes of the world. Uh, the guys that, that led them to uh, three World Series rings are, are basically gone. And uh, and the Dodgers keep coming up with the, the Bellingers of the world and the Sagers. And I always go back to drafting. If you draft well like the Dodgers do, um, I think they're going for their fifth straight division title. I mean, nobody even talks about that. that that's a rarity uh, mm-hmm. in, in today's game. Uh, you know, postseason, a lot to prove. But uh, Dodgers aren't going anywhere, gentlemen. Nope. Don't think so. I agree with Iris' take that the Arizona Diamondbacks probably aren't going to be in contention for all that long. They're a good story. They, it's Zach Greinke's had a pretty good bounce back year so far. As far as players, people might not have ever watched that they've heard about a lot. There's another one you should watch, and his name's Paul Goldschmidt. The Arizona team is pretty good. They're well-managed. Torrey Lavolo deserved a shot as a manager, and he's making the most of it in Arizona right now. But I, I really don't see them sticking around. I think Colorado might because I think they have a couple of hallmarks of teams that can stick around. I mentioned the bullpen earlier. And, of course, the Dodgers are just built to last. That's going to be a tough team, and I think that's going to be a really fun division race between those two teams. I can't. It's tough for me to watch Arizona because the the uniforms cause me some sort of nausea. Uh, but but you know the players are indeed good players, um, no question. Central Division, wacky situation there. Um, everybody had anointed the Cubs as the you know preeminent team in baseball, and they may still end up being that. But there's a there's a log jam there, and. Um, it's, that's going to be a heck of a race, and uh, the Pirates are starting to play some decent ball too. So, who knows? Um, what do you think, Ryan? I, I think to me, it's all about Chicago's rotation. Um, and that lineup is still the best in the, you know, I mean, arguably the best in baseball. Um, but you look at the rotation, and you know, John Lackey was really good last year, but he's 
in this age 38 season, you know, Jake Arrieta was, you know, he's a couple years removed from the Cy Young season, um, and he hasn't been as great. He's shown some hesitancy this year. The ERA is up to five, um, and he's a free agent to be. So what do they do with him? John Lester's in his age 33 season. So, you know, I mean, they have questions. You know, Kyle Hendricks has been much better after a slow start this year, but is he going to be a guy that puts up a two? 2.16 ERA again this year probably not so I think when you look at at the Cubs the pieces are there that they're going to have some decisions to make though I mean they're they're not going to be afraid to go out if there's an injury and add a fifth starter or not even a fifth starter but like a, a number two quality starter um, but are they going to do that and trade Jake Arrieta away are they going to do that and take away John Lackey's spot in the rotation you know they're, they're going to have some decisions to make i think if, if those guys don't start producing because that lineup is there um but you know there's, there's a little age in that rotation and they're, they haven't been as good this year as they were last year and that's kind of what was to be expected well you know i mentioned alex cobb earlier and chicago would seem to be a a team that might be interested in adding uh cobb uh, at that sure. point obviously with joe joe madden's history with the rays and all that that might bear watching. Absolutely. Do you think they can get seven players for him? <laughs> I think they'll try, <laughs> but uh, I don't. Uh, I don't imagine that'll happen. But uh, you know the 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 Rays. This is this is how they do things, and mm-hmm. you know the they they put an open for business sign up uh, every year around the trade deadline. They don't always make the major moves, but um, I think uh, that they have a valuable chip there w- with Cobb. And if they if if they choose to try to cash it in, which is the Ray way, um, they'll get a nice return. I got another. Jimmy, I guarantee I got another if pitcher. that come. Uh, uh, Ryan, Ryan, I got another pitcher to keep an eye on. Uh, and as a Giant fan, uh, you know I watch the situation closely. Um, Johnny Cueto signed a big, big contract but he's got a two-year uh, option-out clause. And right. there's a lot of conjecture. He wants to finish his career in the American League. Uh, I could see him as a rental, um, you know, uh, a final uh, you know, 10-week rental uh, for a team like the Cubs. Uh, Madden likes him. Uh, he didn't pitch badly uh, yesterday. Of course, he pitched uh, – he lost one nothing, I think, at Wrigley in the first game of uh, last year's playoffs. Uh, a right. tremendous, um, tremendous pitcher's duel. And um, – Look out for Cueto because I think the Giants are going to be about 14 games out uh, by late July. Yeah, he's fascinating to me. He's he's probably the most interesting name on the market, uh, or could be on the market because yeah, that 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 opt out clause. I mean, every time a pitcher is a player has had an opt out clause, they've taken it and they've taken it to make more money. You know, so I think the Giants are a, a little bit they're a little bit worried that you know they wouldn't get much back for him. And they, like you know, like you said, like if they're 14 games out. Why not try to get it? And the question is, is what can they get? Because what is the team right. going to give up? They're going to try to get some assurances that he won't opt out. I, I, that's what has to be determined, and that's what makes it so interesting. Well, back in the uh, Central for a moment, if, if, if I could bring up a team that nobody's talking about and with, with good justification, it would be uh, my Cincinnati Reds. And uh, they've they actually hung in pretty well, considering that uh, – Three of the uh, members of their uh, projected starting rotation have, have essentially been out uh, for mo- in some cases for all of the season, and, and uh, in the case of Brandon Finnegan for a good part of it. 
they are about to get Finnegan and uh, the uh, Homer Bailey back into their rotation. Now, um, I don't know that that will make a whole lot of difference, but, but, you know, those are two pretty good quality pitchers and the Reds have actually pieced together a decent little interesting lineup. Um, So I'm not going to crawl out on a very thin limb and say that they're going to be in the race, but I do think that they could actually impact the race depending uh, if they can play well down the stretch, because they could be the spoiler in that division. Yeah, I think yeah, they the can. Reds... They, when when they're when they're hitting when they're hitting like that lineup can hit when they get hot. Guys like Duvall and Sheever and all and those guys. Yeah, they can they can absolutely be uh, kind of a thorn in the side. I think they're probably still uh, at least a, a year away from contending, but they're they're heading in the right direction. And then, you know, anytime you're uh, a contending team playing uh, a lineup that has Joey Votto in it, that that's going to be something that's going to worry you. Yeah, they they finally uh, were able to move on from uh, uh, Brandon Phillips and and uh, and some of that crew and and you know Cozart's had issues with his wrist and and, and all of that, but a year ago to me the the Reds were just a lost cause that I thought were they were in the the second year of a 14 year rebuilding program, but I'm I'm starting to see <laughs> sprouts coming up that I didn't uh, necessarily expect I would see this fast. So, you know. Um, We'll see how they do, but they they gave big money to Homer Bailey, and he has just been that that contract's been a disaster given his uh, injury situation. So even though he's due back, I know um, most Reds fans would hold their breath every time he he makes a pitch because he does seem to get hurt a lot. Yes. Well, real quick, we'll move over to the. Uh... Finally, to the National League East, where um, four of the teams are upside down, going the wrong direction, and uh, the Nationals are playing. Um, it's funny, guys. I see them on a regular basis, and I can honestly tell you that um, here's a team in first place that has had eight blown saves. So um, if if they can get this bullpen sorted out, um, there might be some uh, some interesting situations. Last night, Joe Ross came back as their fifth starter and pitched a, a very uh, a very good game. Real quick, interesting stat, Joe. When you want to talk about run support, mm-hmm. pitching this year in the small sample size that Joe has pitched, his run support is twelve runs a game. So, he started that game against I the think, Mets. I think even Ira Kaufman could get a win with 12 runs a game. Boy, that's, what do you think? That team, that team can hit, Jimmy. That, that's, that's a heck of a lineup. They can hit. They, uh, they had a big night last night that an eight-run fourth inning, uh, which included three home runs in the same inning. Uh, a Jason Worth and, Ron, uh, and Bryce Harper back-to-back. Uh, so it was, a, it was a wild game. But, yeah. Bullpen issues with the Nationals. Uh, uh, obviously, they're going to grab a closer uh, from somebody uh, at the trade deadline. And, but if they can get that bullpen sorted out, they will be um, a force to reckon with uh, in the playoffs, hopefully. Boy, the Mets, uh, huge disappointment. Huge, huge, huge. I mean, last year they were in the wild card game against the Giants. And, right. Uh, you know, with those young pitchers, you know, that, that shows you that, you, you know, you got the 22-year-old phenoms. They don't always work out. 
I mean, Syndergaard's uh, mm-hmm. the real deal. DeGrom's got sure. great stuff. But, yeah. you know, some of these other guys, they fall by the wayside. you, you, you got to be careful with young pitchers. Now, I have a question about the Mets for our, for our guest here that we've talked about a bunch of pitchers that could be on the trade market come the deadline, and I think he would need a few bounce-back starts to get there. But if Matt Harvey put three or four good starts together in the next couple months, could you see Matt Harvey getting traded? Because it really looks like he's hit the breaking point, and the Mets have hit the breaking point with him. I'll say this. I can see the Mets being very open to trading Matt Harvey. Um, the, the question is, because of all the issues that he's had, health-related, health off-the-field-related, whatever, um, who is going to pay the cost that the Mets want to get Matt Harvey? He's a free agent after the 2018 season, which means anytime you're getting a guy that's kind of in that range, you know, teams are opening to open to listening. Um, and we know what Matt Harvey can be. There's no doubt about the pitcher that he can be. He has shown that time and time again that he can be a guy that, that leads a team into the postseason, and he's a guy you feel good with taking the ball in the postseason. Um, the, the question is, is what, what, are, what is this team going to get? So if you're the Mets, you probably wouldn't be, you know, not only would you – be open to trading him you might feel a sense of relief maybe moving that chapter on you know he was such a he was going to be the savior of the franchise he had that great start in the world series and then it all fell apart in the last inning against the royals um so we know what he can be the question is is is, again you know who is going to pay the cost that the mets want and do the mets lower their their asking price in terms of trading him away and then it's a mistake so yeah there, there are a lot of questions there but i guarantee um, if he puts together a couple starts and the Mets keep struggling, you're going to hear his name bandied about, and the, the Mets aren't going to come out and support him soon because they'll be open. All right. Um, some final thoughts, guys, and um, social media. We'll start. Uh, Tim, go ahead. Final thoughts, social media. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Tim Writes Sports, and we talked earlier about a couple of players that are historic right now and Kershaw and Mike Trout. Well, there's a player tonight who you can watch who's on a historic run and that's Chris Sale who is striking out 10 batters a game every game. He's done it eight starts in a row. That's the most in a single season. It's the second most, it's the second longest streak ever behind only Pedro Martinez who is of course in the Hall of Fame without any question. So this is a real historic run. Chris Sale has been the bright spot of an up-and-down Red Sox season. He's going tonight, and as far as players you have to watch, this is a good time to watch Chris Sale because he has been dealing in 2017. Ira Kaufman, one of the Sunshine Boys. Jim, you can get me on uh, social media, at at Twitter, uh, at ikaufman 76. Uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, a manager who I don't think gets nearly enough acclaim. Uh, and he's in the American League East. And no, Tim, it, it, it's not uh, the Red Sox, man. It's, uh, it's Joe Girardi, who is easy to take for granted. Uh, but this is, you know, this is not the 2000 New York Yankees. Um, 
he's got them consistently competitive. They're a lot better this year than anybody thought. He's bringing in young players. He's not afraid to play them. Joe Girardi, in his own understated way, um, is, uh, you know, look, I'm not going to compare him to Joe Torre uh, in terms of accomplishment yet, but he, he he's kind of the same type. You know, he doesn't grab headlines. He can deal with that New York media. Uh, Joe, I'm just thinking Joe Girardi, uh, I think, is a very underappreciated manager. I would totally agree with you on that, Ira. Uh, done very low key, uh, very um, able to handle the circus that is New York, and uh, I think I think you're onto something there. Joe, final thoughts in uh, all and right. Your well, media. I'll I'll um, first off, you can find me on Twitter at the initial J Henderson Tampa, and um, I'll stay with the Yankees. But uh, I'll move to a different part of the dugout and talk about Aaron Judge. Um, Phenomenal season this young man is putting together, his first full season in the major leagues. And he's already got 15 home runs. He's already knocked in 30. He's hitting 315. And he made one of the finest catches that you will ever see uh, in a game Sunday at Tropicana Field against the Rays where – if he was only six foot six, he would have missed the ball, uh, a sinking line drive in the outfield uh, that that probably would have won the game for the Rays. Um, but he's six foot seven, and he you needed every inch of that to make just a sensational catch. So I think um, he, if he can withstand the hype of being the next big thing in the city of New York, and there's every indication he can do that, uh, the Yankees have someone special that uh, is going to be fun to watch uh, for this year and beyond. Ryan Fagan, our guest from Sporting News. Ryan, final thoughts and how we can watch you on social media. You can find me on, on Twitter at my name, Ryan Fagan. Uh, no underscores or anything in there. We had an underscore there when I started, but we, we muscled out the guy that had the, the full name. So it's just at Ryan Fagan. Um, you know, on, on SportingNews.com, um, on Facebook too, I think it's by Ryan Fagan, uh, something like that. Uh, you know, I I think when I when, look at the stuff that I've done lately, I I took a trip, a couple trips down to Columbia, South Carolina, uh, to watch Tim Tebow play baseball. Um, I wasn't necessarily enthused about the idea of doing it because it's a weird situation. It's this high-profile athlete, and the Mets are going through um, such a tough time up in the major league organization and they've got this grand experiment going on down there. Um, so I went down to, to South Carolina a couple of times to watch Tebow play baseball. I wanted to see what he was. And, you know, you watch him and this is a guy that, and it's not going to surprise anyone. He's trying really hard. He's working really hard. He's doing everything he can. Um, and, and you can see there's a, a talent level there, but he's still very mechanical. He's still um, a guy who, has trouble with breaking balls. And I wrote a story kind of just talking about what I saw um, from him. What's next for Tim T. I included a bunch of videos and, and pictures and he goes, you know, he signs autographs before every game and the fans love him. And they all say, come on, Timmy, let's do it, Timmy. And it's, it's interesting to watch, you know, it's not quite the circus at home as it has been on the road um, because he's been there so many times and, and the, the, the fans are used to seeing him there. Now he's not this curiosity act. He's just a guy trying to, get a promotion, you know, which he's going to be promoted. At some point the Mets 
are going to bump him up to, to high A or to double A. And it's he's not going to be ready from a baseball standpoint, but he could get a call up in September, especially if the the season is is in the tank for the big league club. You know, it wouldn't be out of out of the realm of possibility. They bump him up to double A. He gets a couple home runs. They bring him up in September because it's a story, because he's Tim Tebow. He won't be ready as a baseball player, but you know, he's he's more than a baseball player right now. This story is so that that's something that. It's interesting. I put that on on, on uh, published that story a couple of days ago. I've gotten some pretty interesting feedback as well. Well, that brings to a close yet another edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. We hope that you subscribe to us. It's easy enough to do. All you have to do go, is to go to the iTunes store. You can go to Google Play. You can also get us um, through, of course, Blog Talk Radio. And there's always Stitcher. Stitcher where all the outstanding podcasts are, whether it's politics, sports, uh, or just plain entertainment. It's all at Stitcher. So uh, if you've got uh, a podcast you particularly enjoy, go to Stitcher. You'll find us there, and you'll find a bunch of other outstanding podcasts. So no excuses not to have the Sunshine Boys podcast delivered to your phone on a weekly basis, okay? So for... Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson, the Sunshine Boys themselves, for Tim Williams up in Boston, and for our special guest, Ryan Fagan, the senior baseball writer for the Sporting News. I'm Jim Williams, your host of the Sunshine Boys podcast. We hope that you have a very safe and a very enjoyable holiday weekend. <laughs>